Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hello and welcome to the UK Tech Weekly Podcast. It's a beautiful, clear-skied autumn day here in London. Trump is in the White House and we are three blokes just chatting about dystopia. To help me do that, I'm joined by Don Preston. He's entertainment and lifestyle editor at Tech Advisor. Hello. And Tamlin McGee, a reporter at Computer World UK. Hiya. Uh, my name's Scott Carey, and to get us started this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you uh, both what the most recent piece of sort of dystopian fiction you've come across is. Uh, read, seen TV series, played games. Um, what's the most recent one? Dom? I'm not... I don't know really. I, I I kind of feel in a weird place, like with all the dystopian shit going on at the moment. Almost the the content I'm actually engaging with is not very dystopian. You're trying to swerve. I don't know dystopian. if I'm consciously yeah consciously avoiding them or if it's just that it's not out there in the way it used to be. Um, the last probably big film I saw that was obviously dystopian was Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Was that so last year? That was early this year, I think. Fair. Or late last year? Yeah. Something like that? It feels like quite a long time ago, but Maybe that's just life. I don't think like it actually was that long ago. Um, but obviously that's sort of tapping into that existing universe yeah. uh, rather than doing its own thing. Um, uh, and the other big one, I guess, was Handmaid's Tale, which was sort of more revisiting. I'd read the book sort of 10, 15 years ago nice. and uh, both adored and hated it. Yeah. In that I thought it was a phenomenal thing that uh, made me feel absolutely awful about myself and men. For a while, I also recently reread it. Tell them I did it. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah, I recently reread it, and it really holds up. Um, I personally, um, for some reason, have done the exact opposite to you, Dom, and I seem to be just nonstop reading dystopian fiction at the moment. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so I went on holiday. I took two books. I didn't even realise I was doing it, um, but I took uh, the plot against America, which is Philip Roth. Um, his uh, fairly old novel now about the idea of um if uh Lindbergh had got into the White House um during World War Two um and sort of introduced a fascist state that was um in the pocket of Hitler. Um oh, like a, that T V series. A bit like that one. I can't remember what that was called. The Nazi Americans. Yeah, Man it's basically it. that's it, yeah. yeah. Okay, Dick. Yes. Yeah. It's basically um America under Nazism, um, which actually it's terrifying. Why, 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 why did you need to read to? It's <laughs> yeah. It's, I just thought it'd be really interesting to see like how it kind of held up, and it held up terrifyingly um, accurately to to current events. I also read um, 
a much lighter, um, if, if that's the right word, uh, book called Zone One um, by Colson Whitehead, who won the Pulitzer last year for a book called uh, The Underground Railroad, which is very good as well. Um, but Zone One's um, set in New York just after, it's basically the aftermath of a zombie invasion, um, and they're cleaning up uh, the city to try and sort of resettle it. Uh, and it's very good, and it's been optioned for a TV series, but nothing's actually happened of it. That, that first book, like w- without spoiling anything, mm. like were there any events in particular that you thought really contrasted with the world we live in at the moment? Like, well, there's there's an amazing. Um, the best part of the book actually happens very early on. It's when the main character um, takes his family to Washington just after Limbo's been inaugurated, and it's a Jewish family because uh, mm. it's Roth. Um, and they basically are just going sightseeing, um, but they come into contact uh, two or three times with people who are newly kind of uh, open about their anti-Semitism towards mm. this family. Um, and it's just really uncomfortable um, and really dark. And it kind of reminds me of what's happening in mm. America at the moment mm. um, in terms of people kind of feeling empowered um, with their racism. So, yeah, nice and friend, nice and, nice and nice and light. Good to good to. A distraction from good the... beach read. Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, you, Tamlin? What have you come into contact with recently? I'm, I'm kind of similar to you, Dom. Like I'm not really engaging with the ultra dystopian stuff. So I think, I think in a way it's a little bit played out. Like um, I mean, obviously there's loads of classics in dystopian fiction and games that borrow from it and so on and so on. But in terms of actual content that I've enjoyed, I can't think of anything recent that's been sort of like drenched in dystopia. I did watch Blade Runner 2049. Um, you hated it, right? Oh, that, that's a, that's an entire podcast. <laughs> no, let's talk about it. Um, well, you know, uh, really, I mean, <laughs> you hated all of it, right? I, I no, I liked the first five ten minutes, which <laughs> was some really interesting world building. But I, I thought, like, the soundtrack especially like jarred with me because obviously the original's got such a great soundtrack, and this one is just like, what's his name? The soundtrack guy. Is it Green? Uh, it, I can't remember. I've actually listened to. Is it Johnny Greenwood? No, I don't no, think so. No. He's done loads and loads of stuff. Maybe anyway, Zimmer. Uh, Zimmer, that's it. It's Zimmer. Um, it just sounded like you know uh, farts run through a distortion pedal, <laughs> and that to me was the most horrifying element of that whole dystopian world. That terrible soundtrack. Um, in terms of like actual recent stuff I've watched, I guess I watched a bit of Altered Carbon. I think it was called. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, but I, it was just like I didn't like that much. It was like teenage male fantasy the tv series you yeah. know what i mean like um but yeah i've i've been i've been thoroughly swerving dystopian mm. fiction like recent stuff it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't excite me really it's funny that we brought up man in high castle because it like that was obviously pre-trump but yeah. um it's weird how age, how quickly that must have aged yeah. um man because, in white castle yeah because <laughs> at the Trump time man. it would have been like <laughs> such a bizarre concept like such an out there concept and now it probably is less well it's so. it's in a similar space to um uh they have the same sort of timing issue with wolfenstein 2 mm. the new uh, game which is sort of set in alternate history 60s america where the nazis won the war yeah uh and they had the same thing where they'd, you know, they'd made a Wolfenstein remake like four or five years ago, which is, you know, and then they just thought, oh, I'll do the sequel. Cool. All right. We'll set that in America. That'll be cool. Like Nazis in the States. We can do some fun stuff with that. And then it came to release and it released, uh, I can't remember exactly when, but it was around, it was shortly after, I remember meeting the PR shortly after the Charlottesville stuff. Yeah. 
So they were just suddenly releasing this Nazis in America game while there were Nazis in America. <laughs> yeah, um, with very good people on both sides. The, the, yeah. yeah, the craziest thing about that was the fact that, you know, killing Nazis used to be an uncontroversial thing. That's why Wolfenstein was a classic and Glorious Bastards and so on. This entire World War II genre of, yes. of killing Nazis. They were the yeah, staple yeah. baddie. Yeah, and now suddenly you've got, like, idiot liberals being like, oh, well, in the free market of ideals, let's just, ideas, let's just see what the Nazis have to say. Maybe they're <laughs> That bad after all like, yeah. come on no they're, they're bad it's the reason yeah. they were the staple baddie they were like <laughs> obviously bad you know well it's like one of my favorite horrifying things out of all this kind of stuff was some of the like star wars fandom sort of then starting to complain over the last couple of years about the suggestion that the empire <laughs> and the first order were meant to be like the nazis because well they're the baddies so it's not fair to suggest that these baddies are like the nazis oh, and it's yeah, like yes because the nazis were the fucking baddies <laughs> jesus <laughs> christ there's no it's ambiguity about this. <laughs> Darth Vader is obviously the archetype of an objective baddie. He's not supposed to be viewed in nuanced terms, is he? Like, doesn't he strangle a guy within the first five minutes yeah. of appearing in the first one? Like, on. I think that matter of timing was was something that was really interesting with The Handmaid's Tale because obviously the book is much older, but when the TV series came out, it was very much into sort of Trump's America. And I yeah. haven't watched it, but I've heard they're kind of leaning into that idea. Uh, I've, yeah, they didn't do a lot of that in the first season. I haven't seen the second. I've heard the second is now. Because I think the first season, again, it was actually, it had that same accidental timing where the production had been started, I think, before yeah. it was, everything went yeah, yeah, full yeah. Trump. So it kind of came out in the kind of like, oh, this is way more, and then Me Too, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And all of that kind of just happened to be happening at the same time. I think season two is probably when they've been more able to write it with an awareness of Trump and Me Too and build yeah. all that in. And... Where someone who's read the book, it, it seems odd that there even is a season two, but yes, I guess that gives what... them more scope to yeah. kind of riff on current events. That's kind of what has put me off watching season two. Yeah. Season one pretty much covers the book and I thought it was an okay adaptation of a very good book. I should I'm watch not it really because... interested in seeing what they do from here. Yeah, I should watch it because I'm, um, I'm in love with Alexis Bledel, so I, I should watch <laughs> everything she's in, but yeah, I've never got around to it. Uh, I realise I also do have a more interesting answer to the recent thing so I've watched or played or whatever, which is uh, that recently, but a game called Tacoma, mm-hmm. which was um, by a studio who made a little game called Gone Home, and, and they're, they're in a genre that's kind of disparagingly called walking simulators. Um, but, <laughs> that journey and all that. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of same. So you're, you're basically just walking around and exploring. Um, in this one, you're sort of exploring a space station and, and you're playing the holographic recordings left behind by the crew to try and piece together what's happened. Um, but one of the interesting things is just a lot of it is one of those this sort of background detail about this kind of like corporate dystopia that kind of thing so there's lots of mentions yeah. of like this world where you like you have like loyalty schemes as an employee so like your savings have more value like you're basically actually paid in the currency of the corporation you work for Yeah. and thus there is more value to your money if you stay with that company and shame, changing jobs could actually cause you to like lose a load of money because you've lost the loyalty points. Yeah, it's and very black mirror stuff kind of, of idea. like. Yeah, there's one like little bit of like article that makes reference to going to Amazon University and how you know if you then take your which job not, at Amazon, your loans not, get paid off. Which is things. not that far well, off. Well, Jeff really, Bezos is, is now talking about schools, right? Yeah, the other day, so he said the, the child will be the customer. Yeah, exactly. Were you going to say something? Happening? Yeah, it's just I've, I've lost it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's gone. We'll jump to, to my next question, which is um, not the most recent, but what is your kind of 
favorite piece <clears throat> if, if favorite is the right word um of dystopian fiction so an absolute Ooh. stone cold classic i just remember what i was gonna say can Go i say that first yeah <laughs> i feel like dystopian fiction like, i think like when you said black mirror it reminded me that's probably the last dystopian genre thing i've watched from start to finish and i yeah. feel like in terms of if you can call it a genre well, it jumps around in genre doesn't well, it black mirror but 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 essentially what's underpinning it is like dystopia tech right? dystopia yeah. yeah i feel like it jumped the shark and because Black Mirror got, to me, became like this ludicrous trope for, oh, just like Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, really, it's really turned me off the whole thing. I'm like, well, no. I, I adore Black Mirror and I think Joe Brooks is a genius, but I do think that once you start throwing Netflix money at it and start asking him to produce 10 episodes on short turnarounds, yeah. that's not the most conducive, creative way of getting the best out of him. Um, so some of it definitely falls a bit flatter. Um, I'm going to go back and watch some old ones actually um, on a flight on Sunday. So I enjoyed it. I think it's more the the fact that it's so widely referenced culturally, like in conversation, yeah. like oh, like Black Mirror. Yeah. But then actually, Black Mirror is like just a bit like real life, but a bit worse. So yeah. it's not like things that I like. Things aren't like Black Mirror. Black Mirror's like life, just slightly worse. Yeah, he I mean? just takes things to their dark yeah. extreme. Because yeah. that's the whole, I mean, the whole thing, like that running joke in Black Mirror is just, what if phones, but worse? Yes. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is how like every episode seems to come about. You just look at some bit of tech and say, what if that, but worse? Uber, but for death camps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Stone Cold Classics <laughs> is my next question. Um, I can go first if you want. Yeah, um, uh, I'm going to go with a video game. Um, I think the best piece of dystopian fiction ever made is The Last of Us. Mm, um, okay, yep. I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal game. Um, I, I guess dystopia is is pushing it, but it's zombie apocalypse. Mm. Um, basically, if anyone's not played it, um, you are um, two characters uh, sort of working your way through this sort of wasteland world, trying to find um, little pockets of civilization. Uh, it's got pros- possibly the best ending of mm, a video yeah. game mm, um, fantastic and the, the the second one comes out next year maybe they haven't actually said a year yet so yeah. I suspect probably 2020 probably early but early uh, yeah. at some shame. point it's on the way the the emotional pull I got from that game was unlike most film TV media I had experience yeah. I was just like blown away by it completely. That that's 100% yeah. what sets it apart for me is the, is the sort of connection to the characters yeah and it's one of those things that games can get in the same way as TV shows can and films struggle because you are with those characters for 30, 40 hours yeah. by the time you reach the end. Uh, you know, it's a long journey. You go on with them, you spend a lot of time with them. And that game does such a good job of having... It's obviously got the big dramatic story moments, but it's got so many just little beats as they're wandering around, little tiny character moments as they're just exploring. Genuine relationship between yeah. the two characters as well. I actually put off playing that game because I, I play a lot of games but I completely suck at them and I got stuck <laughs> even on easy mode early on yeah. in um at one of the points where you're dodging the military police or whatever yeah. and shooting at yeah. you and it just stressed me out too much and I just didn't play it. That was on PS3. I didn't play it until mm. I got a PS4 years later. Um but I'm so glad that I did because it was just like mm. exceptional. Once I was over that hump I was just like I bowled through it. Yeah. I like, yeah. didn't do anything for an entire week and I just played that game and it was great. And now that I think about it, I guess that um, I could argue that Metal Gear Solid is my favourite because it's, it's such a... Because uh, mm. it is a, a very odd dis- version of dystopia itself. Um, but yeah, Last of Us is the one for me. What about you guys? Um, I mean, honourable mention to Bioshock on the mm. gaming front. Um, obviously, it's kind of been played 
played on in the other Bioshock games and sort of other director stuff since, but it does a great job of realising an interesting dystopia in a gaming setting. Kind of love the Art Deco styling and stuff like that. But actually, I'm going to go overall for me. <clears throat> um, stolen from uh, David Price on the team, but the uh, the Warhammer 40,000 yes. universe, I think, is a phenomenal dystopian setting that I've adored since I was a kid. Uh, I used to play the tabletop game, spent far too much money on it for a few years, and I haven't touched any like the figurines in, in over a decade now, but I still have such a tremendous soft spot for the video games and books and anything, and I just realised it's because actually what I loved wasn't the figurines, it wasn't the game, it was that setting. The universe. Mm. This weird, horrible, futuristic setting where, I mean, in their words, there is only war. Like, it's just ultra-violent, ultra-dark. There's no clear sense of good guys and bad guys. No. You know, you know, you sort of, like, as a kid, you're naturally drawn to, like, oh, the space marines, they're the goodies, and the chaos space marines, oh, they're the baddies, and there's, it seems very clear-cut... And as you start reading in, it's like, oh, no, actually, all the good guys are religious zealots and fascists. Mm. <laughs> oh, OK, they're, hmm, right. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, it's one of those interesting bits of, like, fiction that tends to get really misinterpreted by people and some of the sort of, yeah, people don't always get those aspects of it. So there can be a little bit of a cult of people being like, oh, yeah, like, you know, the, em- the emperor, like, good guy and all the yeah. all that stuff. And you sort of miss, like, no, no, the whole point is this is all one massive satire. Like, I feel like it's all, it's almost a shame that, that universe came out of like that game because I think there could be more interesting stuff done with it than like yes high street it's... shops with like <laughs> did they make a shockingly bad it? film recently? Uh, no, I think maybe there's been some animated movies, uh, but they've it's been one of those things where they've been very precious with the movie license. They've had talks at times, but uh, it's never happened. And I think in mm-hmm. a weird way, they're in a weird place that they're really really precious about the film license and the complete opposite with the gaming licenses because they will hand the Warhammer li- game license out to any game developer that wants to make anything it feels like yeah. there's about 10 games a year with a license most of which are direct um and yeah i think it is that weird thing where it's kind of culturally locked in like oh it's Warhammer it's it's a very niche thing and you have you know so i think a lot of people would never go near a piece of Warhammer media because they think of it as you know on that Dungeons and Dragons kind of space of uber nerd yes stuff well um, dungeons and dragons is sort of breaking out of that a bit though isn't it Whereas yes i don't yeah. think warhammer is uh yeah it hasn't had that same sort of resurgence through youtube and podcasts i think it's because it's a bit less narrative driven in terms of the game itself the Maybe game is much more just community should do an episode about it or yeah something. exactly <laughs> sort it out. what about you tamlin what's your stone cold um, classic I'll, I'll keep it brief because i've got three but honestly i'll keep it brief <laughs> um the first game I played that was dystopian fiction was Syndicate Wars, which is an old PC classic where basically you're this uh, extrajudicial sort of intelligence agency sort of team of like an elite squad of CIA-esque soldiers and you go around fulfilling horrible missions for them in this very dark world. And the sequel had you pitted against like a Church of Scientology-esque set yeah. so it was like you know cia versus church of scientology in this dark world that like the sun never shines it's just like endless cityscapes and flying cars and stuff and that was that came out a long time ago i can't remember the actual year but um i think in terms of like games it must have been among the first to really popularize that maybe mm-hmm. i don't know it was early 90s i think the first one um my favorite fiction uh dystopian fiction is i have no mouth and I'm oh, yes. Scream yeah. by Holland Ellison. It's amazing. Uh, R.I.P. Holland Ellison. 
he phoned me up and said, "Here, now my head to a coffee table once." But you know. <laughs> for, for, for the listeners that that, that don't list, that <clears throat> don't read extremely dark short stories about dystopian worlds, um, I have a mouth but cannot scream. What what is it? Uh, it's basically a supercomputer developed in a Cold War type scenario absorbs all the other supercomputers developed in that Cold War type type scenario. Uh, basically ends up dominating the world, destroys all of humanity except for, I think it's six people who it keeps alive, this thing called AM, it was called AM, uh, I can't remember what that stands for, uh, it, it keeps them alive and tortures them through endless scenarios forever and ever and ever. Lovely. Yeah, so, so it's really true. So an AI saw. Yeah, yeah, but way, way before the saw films and that whole genre of, you know, torture porn and stuff, it's not like that, it's much more creative, you know, like... Yeah summing up great birds to like flap in the faces of these like <laughs> <laughs> these, these these tortured people uh, and my favorite film probably is stalker um by tarkovsky oh, yeah. which is probably as much a critique on the soviet union at that time and his own religious leanings as it is like dystopian fiction uh it's based on a book that i haven't read i can't remember what that's called you know, no called? i don't know actually um but apparently the film completely diverged from the book and the author of the book, also a Soviet author, hated the film. But the film's gone on to be like a total classic. And You should never trust authors hating movies, though, because Stephen King didn't like The Shining. So oh, yeah. You, you're not allowed to... You're not allowed to care. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, those are, my, those are my three pieces of dystopian culture that I, like, really, really appreciate and love. Yeah, I think... I, just because we've already mentioned it, <clears throat> shouldn't discount the fact that the original Blade Runner for me is just the OG mm. dystopian movie. Yeah, it's it's, it's one that I kind of almost don't want to mention because it's just such an obvious yeah. one. Just be like, oh, Blade yeah. Runner, obviously. Yeah, same. Um, but yeah, Blade Runner. Um, I also love um, getting just little details in the background. Uh, I'm a sucker for the Alien movies, but the first two Aliens just have this sense that they're in one of those sort of Blade Runner esque really corporate dystopias i do love that actually and, the, yeah the the kind of mythology around alien was always something that i was borderline yeah. obsessed with um and i remember getting very deep down a lot of internet rabbit holes yeah. just before prometheus came out yeah right. um because prometheus kind of promised to expand on a lot of that stuff and, and for me failed in its mission to do that but yeah what it's it's a big corporation isn't it kind of uh yeah wayland utani and then so the yeah prometheus is the wayland corporation and this is at some point in the timeline wayland and utani merge and there's all sorts of but yeah so it's, you know in the first film it's just kind of there that they work for the company and yeah. you know it's sort of you, you know if you the whole everything goes wrong because of the company sending them to get this sample essentially uh and the second one kind of leans into it a bit more because it has burke the kind of the company guy there but uh, yeah, I always like them. They're obviously not dystopian films in the sense they're not about their dystopias and they don't show them off a lot. Yeah. But there's always that feeling of, yeah, just you're seeing one thing that's happening in a big corporate dystopia world. It's all out there. You get a bit more of it with the David sequence, don't you? Where um, uh, David, it, it, I can't remember. Is it in the most recent Alien movie where it's David at the very beginning talking to the head of the Whalen Corporation? Uh, yeah, in the big white room with the piano and the that's it. artwork. That's the beginning of Covenant, yeah. I've, Covenant. N- I've never seen Prometheus. Um, I've only actually seen Alien 1, 2, and 4, and not 3 for some reason. That beats me why. But um, I think what's really interesting about that, as you say, Dom, is this sort of hidden universe and the fact that the actual struggles of the characters in the Alien films is so isolated, and that's part of it. Yeah. Um, and this stuff is just hinted at. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. 
Cool. Um, we're going to take a quick break from our sponsors and then we're going to come back. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Right, we're back and going to go a little left field here, but I want to know which dystopian universe you guys would most want to live in dom um so uh my choice is the film adaptation of the running man yep which is a schwarzenegger classic it's actually based on funny enough a stephen king novel having mentioned him though it's one of the stephen king books he wrote under his alias richard backman um i've never read the book i did not know that yeah uh, he did it. three or four i think under an alias because he, I think it was that he was writing too many books and his publisher told him it would sort of dilute the market if he was releasing too many books. It's absolutely time. ridiculous. Um, anyway, yeah, so the film is one of those sort of weird ones where it's Schwarzenegger is a guy who gets swept up into a sort of game show where you have to compete for your life. And it's basically like, what if the TV show Gladiators, but it was lethal? Yeah. And, uh, and the government made you do it. And, and the government made you do it. And so it's all for sort of entertainment. And so it's all these like themed like gladiator people he has to fight. Like there's like a an ice hockey themed one and all this different stuff. And they all have like these ridiculous weapons that are themed around their silly stuff. And it's Schwarzenegger just fighting his way through. Uh, and it's just that kind of like, yeah, taking that kind of reality TV game show thing and just imagining pushing it further and further and further to more and more ludicrous and violent and over-the-top extremes and this Um, is where you want to live yeah it's just (laughs) i mean you wouldn't be bored would you (laughs) you would definitely not be bored like you know if we're just gonna go go full-on dystopian let's at least have one where it's entertaining rather than like it's not 1984 you're not going to be locked in your cubicle i'll sit there you know hollering for blood like you know watching (laughs) as some poor fucker get torn apart by a guy in an ice husky mask like with leds all over him Mm, i really believe that you would (laughs) 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 you've thought about this before (laughs) Uh, where would you live, Tamlin? Well, I was going to say Wally, but it's a toss-up between Wally and Escape from L.A. 
Oh yeah. Because or LA rather than New York. LA because it's got a Castro-esque figure who plays basketball and who wouldn't love that? I mean, <laughs> I'd go join up with his clique if it had me in a freaking heartbeat. No. Um uh, the actual universe itself isn't, I guess, that different from you know, it, it's like this, but slightly worse, like what I was saying yeah. about Black Mirror. But um, yeah, I, I'm in it for Castro and, and basketball. But um, Wally as well, because I mean, yeah, it's presented as this horrible end game scenario where humans are robbed of agency, but they all seem so happy. Like, yeah, <laughs> to be honest, like, okay, yeah, like sitting there now, it looks horrible, but actually, yeah, just watching a load of movies and getting fat, it, yeah. it could yeah. be worse. It could be so much worse. I mean, it doesn't look great for planet Earth. That's no. True, um, and poor Wally is tormented to cleaning it up forever. But um, in terms of the sort of fully lo- automated luxury communism that the people yeah. are experiencing through through capitalism, strangely, it's funny that capitalism ate its own tail in, in that film because uh, they all just seem to have their needs their their needs met and and they're fine and they seem happy. Yeah, yeah. Wally. I can't think of any that I'd particularly want to live in, but I know like. All of the basically the desert scenarios are the ones that I would not want to live in. So Mad Max, <laughs> Mad Max yeah. would would drive me insane. Yeah, uh, as would June. I think um, just being on like a desert planet would yeah. would not be that much fun. I also think uh, that whatever happens in the road would would not be would not yes. be fun. What about, what about Tank Tank Girl? They seem to have a good time in Tank Girl. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've not actually seen Tank Girl. Oh, really? It's fantastic. Yeah, I really want to. You should watch it. Um, but I guess the basic plot is it's corporations vying for control of water, isn't it? Kind of like in Mad Max, if I remember it correctly. Yeah, yeah. But um, they've all got great haircuts and oh, that's good stuff. Seems yeah, at least at least yeah, the, you'd have you'd have decent swag if you yeah. lived in the Mad Max universe. While I'm on a naff eighties nineties action film bent, uh, having done Schwarzenegger, I'll do Stallone as well. So Demolition Man, ah, oh, yeah, would be great fun. Uh, and just go to Taco Bell, do whatever they do with the seashells. Yeah, it's just this. Yeah, again, like weird, larger than life version, like like the real world, but just everything's a bit louder and more colourful, and Sylvester Stallone is there. Yeah, I could I could think of worse places to live than the world of RoboCop. Yeah, yeah. That that RoboCop was a satire. I think that's what a lot of people don't get about. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, well, that's it, what people don't get about about Starship Troopers sometimes. Which, yeah, exactly. which blows my mind. It's all Verhoeven. Verhoeven gets very very misunderstood. Uh, RoboCop is just uh, yeah, like this horrible militarized world and completely commercial and the action hero going around blowing everyone's brains out because judicial (laughs) process is no longer a thing no anyone cares about and it's all like yeah you know money instant gratification the world gone to shit you'd be pretty well behaved though wouldn't you if you had a robocop running around like in singapore (laughs) i imagine imagine i've never been you've been haven't you i have is it like um, robocop nah not even. No. Nah. Were you quite well behaved because of the laws and stuff? Yeah, right? I was pretty well you behaved. So Robocop. Like I wouldn't spit out gum. No. Not out of fear of a Robocop blowing your brains <laughs> out. But... but out of fear of being fined or arrested. Basically. So, yeah, not, so, yeah, not, not a massive leap to Robocop from Singapore, I guess. Yeah. Fair. Um, taking a, uh, a turn for um, the real world, um, I wanted to ask you guys what the most dystopian thing that's happened in real life this year. Uh, that you've seen um we cover the technology sector so we tend to come across sort of dystopian um 
sort of yeah. situations quite often. Um, the one for me, Tamlin, um, I think you've got more detail on this, but Amazon um, put a patent in for, um, <laughs> for, for for a cage for their employees. Yeah, the worker cage. Uh, that, I was going to say basically everything Amazon and Jeff Bezos have done this year culminating in the worker cage. Yeah, basically all their patents seem to have a bit of a dystopian bent. Like yeah. even the um, the stores, the Amazon Go stores, yeah. um, could be taken to like a Black Mirror-esque end game. I love how Amazon were like, yeah, we patented it, but we had we didn't have any plans to use it. <laughs> it was just in case. <laughs> just in case what? That 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 yeah. could be the beginning of a dystopian novel, yeah. couldn't it? It's like, oh yeah, we just patented all these things, and then everyone just thinks, oh, that's fine. They're not actually going to use them, but they they will they use them if they can. Um, yeah, I, this has been a, like the first year. Obviously, Amazon's been kind of shitty for a long time, but this has been the first year it's really kind of hit me. Yeah, I really felt like, oh, they are awful. They are really. Really awful. The PR sort of chickens have come home to roost for a lot of those companies this year. Yeah. Um, with all the data stuff at Facebook. And but have they? I mean, their bottom line seems kind of all right, doesn't it? Their bottom yeah. line's fine, yeah. Um, <laughs> do they, they still use Amazon? Yeah. I, of course. Yeah, well. To buy dystopian I feel novels. really guilty when I do it, though. Well, that's the main, that's the main thing, <laughs> yeah. Dom. It's how we'll change so the world. I've made myself less private, happy. Private uh, guilt. Help. Yeah. Private guilt will change everything. Um. I, I think, yeah, Amazon's a good shout. Like, they've been consistently evil. There's been no dip in the evil. It's just mm. been a sort of plateau of terribleness from start to finish this year. Um, <clears throat> I kind of think, though, that uh, <clears throat> the the world is so, like... Maybe it's just awareness of it, but the world is so disastrously out of step and bizarre, it's kind of beyond satirising, beyond fiction. Mm. And it makes dystopian stuff, like, less interesting to me because, like, you can just wake up and watch the morning news and yeah. Trump's done something mad and it's like no one, even the best writer, would have expected Earth to plot this stupid course. Do you know well, what there I mean? was a great Charlie Brooker tweet, wasn't there, a couple of years ago when all the um, David Cameron had sex with a dead pig yeah. mm. stuff came out and that's kind of the plot of the first ever episode of Black Mirror and he did a tweet that was like, yeah, Black Mirror was a documentary. <laughs> yeah. And it's increasingly yeah. feeling that way. That was a fantastic day on Twitter, though. I mean, oh, oh, yeah. Possibly one, the best. One of the best. It's only going to be surpassed when, like, I don't know, the Queen dies or something. That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, we're at the point now where a porn star can compare the president's penis to a character from a video game and it hardly moves the needle. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was just a little blip. Um, on the kind of real-life dystopia stuff, Tamlin, I know you're working on a piece that's going up today about a, a new law that's working through the Lords that no one seems to pay any attention to, but which is going to kind of expand state surveillance laws. Oh um, yeah, which is which is pretty terrifying. It's called the Overseas Production Order Bill, I think. I, I can't remember. I wrote it yesterday, and my memory's terrible. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's it's not that shocking. It's basically just the, the snoopers charter is not enough. They want the authorities want to get information on users behind their back uh, from more, Silicon Valley companies. from Silicon Valley more quickly. At the moment, it can take up to twelve months, and cops hate that because they want to know everything now. So they want to bring it down to seven days. But the, the really mad thing is that. Um, it could be years or never. You, you might never know that they've been looking at your emails. I mean, I talked to a lawyer and she said she had a client who um, <clears throat> who, who got an alert from the American authorities last year uh, that just said, oh, by the way, we've looked at your entire Outlook account four years ago. And he was like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what? You've been reading through all of my emails. Oh, man. Um, so they, they can already do things like that. It's just kind of calcifying it and turning it into an actual law. Yeah. 
So I'm a bit weary <laughs> writing about this sort of stuff all the time. You know, everything's bad. Let's start again. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. On a, on a slightly different note, I think one of the things that stuck with me the most this year on a kind of, oh, we're heading into dystopia is specifically British. And it's just the fact that around all the sort of no deal Brexit talks, the fact that we're actually in a state where we're talking about like stockpiling food and medicine because we are potentially about to become a tiny little island with no real production and no real trade, and we're all going to starve and die and fight each other I, to death. I can't, I can't believe that story. I mean, it gained some traction, but most I saw from it was like an independent article that was shared a bunch because of the clickbaity title. But shouldn't we be paying more attention attention to the fact that medicine's going to run out and we'll all be eating like tinned pineapple and yeah. spam? and it'll be forever. like a week. Like I was saying, it's yeah. not like a time scale of like, oh, we'll last like months before it runs out. It's like, no, like a week after the deal or the no deal or whatever you want to, you know, a week after that happens, we'll be out of like vital life-saving medicine. And it was a kind of weird reminder of how fragile the UK's position is and how actually terrifying. Who needs penicillin? Of, yeah. those, those experts, what do they know about penicillin? <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> I'm going to uh, end things on a more positive note and I'm going to ask you guys um, what your favourite utopian fiction is um where everything is is nice and flowery and everything's going to be okay mm-hmm. um my my favorite is um i mean utopias are a funny one because you never have good utopian fiction that's just about everything being perfect because that's no because that would just be boring with. um i really like ian and bank's culture novels mm. so they're set in this sort of uh far-flung future and it's sort of a, a basically a post-scarcity society and they can uh you know, this huge sort of intergalactic culture. Mono- is it, you know, there's sort of dystopian elements because they're just, it's literally called the culture. They are a monolithic culture. Yeah, but, I mean, all utopias are going to yeah. have elements of dystopia in them. But um, yeah, it's this interesting setting where just that, yeah, they, they can produce anything they need to. No one has to work. And it sort of tells you different stories of how that kind of utopia then has to interact with other societies and what happens when this utopian world brushes up against less advanced, in inverted commas, uh, groups and, and, and what that clash is like. Are you talking about Star Trek? Uh, no, it, it obviously has a lot in common with Star Trek. I was going to say yeah. Star Trek. Is that I mean, yours? Yeah, yeah, like post-scarcity and humanity clubs together to explore the universe and they've got, yeah. they don't interfere, they're only defensive, they don't yeah. attack. Like, great, it just reminds me of what we, well, not necessarily what we could achieve, but like that, mm. that big picture thinking is so much more interesting to me than dystopian stuff because dystopian, like I was saying, is like this but worse, whereas... That kind of post-war sci-fi, like Star Trek, imagines a wonderful future with really interesting plot lines. What could we achieve if yeah. we weren't fighting each other? And I think that's great. Yeah, I think cult- the culture society is almost a bit like what if you know you'd let the Star Trek society keep running for mm. for a few more thousand years, and then like you know, so it's kind of at a point where AI is running everything, so humans don't even have to step in anymore. And whereas humans and all sorts of alien species intermeshed, there's sort of uh, it's very like gender fluid. People can just switch genders and bodies and stuff whenever they want and things like that. So it, you know, but yeah, I agree. It, it, it's uh, you can be more freeing in in what you imagine in that kind of setting rather than just look at a thing in the real world and make it more extreme. Yeah, I think the the, the old the sort of classic sci-fi authors had that in common as well. You know, there, there was this real big picture thinking and exploring yeah. strange possibilities rather than what I think is a bit lazy, which is just reverting to dystopia. Mm. Um, it's far less interesting to me than thinking about all these crazy scenarios about what could be. Yeah, a lot of the early Isaac Asimov yeah, uh, has exactly. very interesting stuff like that as well. Yeah, so my, my favourite um, is a novel called Island. 
um, by Aldous Huxley. So oh, it's right, his yeah. it's his utopian oh, yeah. um, alternative to Brave New World, which yeah. is his most famous novel. Um, it shares a lot of similarities. Brave New World, um, mainly a sort of penchant for psychedelic drugs, <laughs> um, but it's much less of a police state, and it's kind of set on this idyllic Polynesian island where they've um, it's a female-run society. And it kind of blends like Western science with Eastern Buddhism. Yeah. Um, everyone has a lot of oral sex and <laughs> takes a lot of psychedelic drugs. Um, it's it's a very it's a very good novel actually, um, and I would very much recommend um, seeking it out. I think uh, the Simpsons uh, skewered it in the episode where Homer goes to an island, and there's like a weird sort of uh, like uber elite society um that kind of takes him in um so you might it, it might sort of ring some bells um from that perspective because simpson skewers everything <laughs> yeah. um but yeah that that would be my one anything else great that's uh that's enough for this week thank yep. you for indulging us in a more pop culture heavy <laughs> episode than usual we'll be back again next week probably to talk more about tech cheers bye 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 UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.